In Session with Dr. Farid Hulakwi. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Dolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded and then each week to my SoundCloud page and podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, I won't be doing a regular show today because I have a very special guest who I'll be introducing to you now, Parham Holakwi. Completed his BA and MBA at UCLA, his law degree from Columbia Law School, and is completing his PhD at, the, at UC Berkeley. He has worked as a corporate lawyer and a policy advisor to governments and multinational organizations. This fall, he's teaching law and conflict resolution to Pepperdine University's doctoral students in education, which is what we'll be talking about today. Parham, welcome to the show. Thank you, Farid. Thank you for the introduction. You sent it to me, but you're very welcome. You missed a couple things. <laughs> I remember I the part about the how amazing and awesome. Yeah, the, I had to I take am as some a brother. Um, artistic liberty, negotiate yeah. a few things, which will be will be talking conflict about. resolution. We, this is the first conflict. The first conflict. Well, first of many, even in these next seconds. two hours. So let's see if we can maybe cue the readers, uh, the listeners, up into what's happening. Um, you are teaching this course. You'll be a professor at. Pepperdine University for the doctoral students in education and you're teaching a class that maybe when people hear doctoral students in education wouldn't be the first that comes to mind which is about um, law and conflict resolution and also includes negotiation um, and so I think that's why I wanted to have you on to talk about this because I think they brought you on to discuss these topics because really they're applicable to everyone but often many people don't get exposure to them or learn about these so uh, again the class is about law uh, conflict resolution etc so maybe you could tell us a bit about the course and yeah I'm, i know you're very excited to be teaching there this fall and, and going forward but tell us a bit about the course and then we can talk about these topics yeah well why why i think it's important for them to learn about these things is because they don't have a choice it's a required class they have to take it no i'm kidding it's um they're going to be learning about the law and I think what the law teaches you is about, I think, critical thinking, analytical thinking, which I, is applicable not just to legal problems, but to problems of all types. And the second half of the course really focuses on the conflict resolution side, and that's negotiation, which sounds like it's something you do in a business context, in a work context, but negotiation is something we do every day with our spouses, our friends, our children, it's effectively any time there is a difference of opinion mm -hmm. or a misunderstanding between two people, that's an area where I think negotiation strategy can be helpful. Absolutely. So uh, I think it's, uh, it's important to see how, how broadly applicable it is and also how I think today it's even more relevant. We're interacting with so many people in our daily lives and if we take the approach of avoiding conflict because it's uncomfortable, or not expressing ourselves honestly and authentically, or jumping to an emotional reactivity to things, I think we have a missed opportunity. So I think one measure of how happy and successful we can be in life is how tolerant we are of those uncomfortable moments with other people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very well said. And so maybe we can start with this basic 
um, definition or understanding of what is conflict to begin with. And uh, like any word, it's, it has an emotional charge, and the emotional yeah. charge of conflict is a, a negative one or makes people feel tense. And so um, conflict, I, I would say it's when any two people, if we're making an interpersonal two people, it could be obviously between, between groups as well. But if we're looking at two people, really the same rules would apply. When they want differing things at the same time, or there's some way that they want something in opposition of each other. When we want the same things, there's no conflict. We both are choosing what movie to see. We both want to see the same movie. There's no conflict. But then we want to pick a movie and we want to see different movies. Now a conflict can arise here. More low stakes, not so concerning, but that's where conflict arises. And so anytime we have any individuals or groups of people and they're spending any amount of extended time with each other, conflict is going to be inevitable because people can't all want the same things at the same time always it's just impossible and this is why when we're looking at even romantic relationships i stress how important it is to not think about if you fight but how you fight how you disagree because disagreements are inevitable actually if you never disagree that's problematic because it means that you're not being open and honest because inevitably you should want different things that sometimes it's just going to have to come mm -hmm. up if you're both being clear. So yeah. conflict is one of those things that's unavoidable. It's actually necessary to live a good personal life, a good professional life, a good romantic life, family life, whatever it is. And so that's why I think um, you're, you know, you're teaching it to these students, probably with, I'm sure with a certain focus, and it will probably be broader than what will just be required for them professionally. Um, but it's because it's just such a ubiquitous thing that we all need to be aware of and would be better to be better at yeah absolutely and um so i think conflict the definition i could also just show you right now we can, we can have, have a conflict fight, yeah. yeah we can I, fight i don't think we that's can that's a great way i to don't make... think we can have a conflict. well we can okay so uh <laughs> sorry conflict is i think not only is it inevitable i think it's it's a sign of a good relationship. Mm -hmm. So they did studies where they saw, you know, you want to have the ratio of good and bad interactions to be, if it's if it's at one to one, that's a bad relationship, let's say. But five to one, good to bad, is that's good. You want that. And then they thought, well, if it's 10 to one, that would be even better. Turns out 10 to one is worse. Mm -hmm. 10 to one is worse because that means there are things that are not being discussed and acknowledged. Someone, either one side or both sides, are hiding things. They're not expressing what's within them honestly. So it might be that you meant the movie example, one person in the relationship wants to go to a certain movie, the other person hates that movie. It's very uncomfortable for them. They don't want to go. But just to be the nice person, they go along with it. And this often aligns with uh, what people see as their identity. Their mm -hmm. identity might be that I am a person who is easy to get along with. That's how I define myself. Therefore, I'm going to make sure everything I do, my behaviors align with that. So I don't want to be that person who causes friction or trouble. Oh, you want to go to that? Sure, I'll go ahead. Now, what's sitting inside that person as, he, as she or he is sitting in the movie, I don't know why I said she. I just presumed that she was being more the, the more compliant one. It might be the case. Well, and that, there's something, you know, actually when you're talking about identities, there are there are those, you know, gender, sex-based yes. things, yes. cultural, all, all sorts of things that do play a part in how comfortable people feel about conflict, um, how much they think they're even allowed to be the one to initiate or not yes. initiate. And so this has been you know, traditionally that males, you know, females have to be the more accommodating sex has definitely been there. It doesn't have to be the reality, but it's definitely yeah. been there. So I think you were bringing up, you know, you said identity, but it's just 
each one of us has kind of like a conflict profile, like which includes how comfortable we are with conflict that we want to yes. go towards or away. And that's actually something I should mention here because sometimes people think, well, doesn't everyone hate conflict or dislike conflict? And it's not about liking conflict. Actually, if you like conflict, that probably means you're aggressive in nature or want to make sure you get your way. So mm -hmm. wanting or seeking out conflict is not uh, what I at all would recommend or think is healthy, but it's that are you embracing, facing, and not avoiding the ones that come up. That's what we're looking at. Yep. Is if you're So there's that aspect, how you then deal with conflict. So we all come into conflict with a whole set of things that determine how we are and how we deal with them. And I think that's one of the first steps to me is that just understanding yourself, what's your own relationship with conflict, right? Yes. Yeah. So I think there's two layers. One is I think empathy and compassion, understanding what the other person cares about. And maybe you see them, you notice that my partner is conflict avoidant, or there's something about who they are that you want to be able to see it from their perspective. That's the first step in any form of good communication is empathy and seeing their, seeing it from their perspective. I think the other, even more important one is to listen to yourself mm -hmm. and to see, ooh, why did that, why did that trigger me to feel that really intense emotional reaction? Why is it that when she said that or he said that, I had this, uh, I got angry. Why? Why did that? This. Why is my reaction disproportionately uh, hostile? And often, what we can look to is the way we communicate, the way we negotiate, is often a product of our history how we interacted with our parents. What emotions were we not allowed to feel? Uh, what worked? What was effective? Little kids are very good at picking up what is effective and getting their way and what isn't. Oh, when I get angry and throw a tantrum, I get what I want. Uh, when I get sad and cry, dad doesn't listen to me. He says, that's not what boys do. So I'm not gonna do that anymore. So even if I feel sad, I'm gonna hide that. I'm gonna repress that. Now, if that mm -hmm. boy now grows into an adult in a relationship, it's gonna be very hard for him to express sadness to his wife or to anyone. And so I think that's where, as important as listening is to the other side, it's integral to good communication. It's also listening to yourself, mm -hmm. tapping in and being able to uncover what it is that your communication style is. And often the, the conflicts that we avoid touch on conflicts and emotions we were not able to express as children. It's what we've been trained. Those, those things get deeply entrenched. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just so that, and that's you know that actually went a little bit deeper into when I say conflict profile because I think we can look at it on a spectrum how conflict avoidant are you like mm -hmm. very high or very low but as you said it's a little bit more fine tuned than that as well it's not just all conflict yeah you probably do have a profile that correlates with most types of conflict but there could be some things where and some people they're like oh in my professional life I can do it because they're in a certain role or like yeah you were saying maybe sadness or certain emotions it's easier for me to express but other ones if I think the other person won't like it that's harder for me to express mm -hmm. so uh, or if it's about my needs very difficult if it's about someone else's needs I can create a conflict or uh, or go into the conflict if it's needed so it, it is very complex I think it's it's worth for me the first step with all these things is self-awareness so it's not just um, what do you do? How do you do it? And there's not one rule book that's going to be for everyone. This is how everyone should handle conflict. The first step is really, really looking at yourself like, who am I when it comes to conflict? Because it's yeah. very, very complex. It's not a simple uh, answer. And you said looking at your childhood, was it even, yeah, what we can maybe jump into some of these things. Yeah. What was conflict like in your family? Was right. it allowed? 
was it loud? You know, what was it like when people would fight? Yeah. Was it scary? Yeah. That's you know, point. that's actually one that comes up a lot. I wor- I'll work with couples and like, oh yeah, yesterday one of them will say, we had this really bad fight like two days ago. Another partner's like, really bad fight? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? And then when they go into it, like, yeah, you were like talking like this and getting upset. And then for the other person, like, that's just how we talk in my family. Right. Like, when we were just talking about what to like, you know, watch, I was saying like, let's say watch a movie as like the previous conversation, we would just get in yeah. really passionate and heated and we'd be raising our voices. And for the other person, it's like, no one ever raised their voice. So raising your voice means like, oh my God, this is like a disaster. So people, two people can have the same interaction and have even a different experience of how much or how significant yeah. of a conflict it was. That's a really good point. So that, that is, it's sort of a, we bring all of our baggage and our histories and it, it's this uh, communication style that's co-constructed between the two of you. Imagine one side, like what you articulated, where the way they resolve conflicts is they just let things out and there's a little bit of passion and emotion behind it, but that's normal to them. That doesn't that doesn't mean hate or animosity. It's just how they resolve mm-hmm. disputes. And for the other side, that means something absolutely catastrophic. The yeah. moment someone raises their voice, that means everything is over mm-hmm. and it has a different implication. And so when those different communication styles collide, there's an issue. And this is why it's important to look behind what the person is saying. So they might, the argument might be about, you know, you, you never ever clean around the kitchen, ever. I, keep, I asked you to and you still didn't do it. Now it's about the kitchen, but really what's behind that? The person mm-hmm. feels unseen, they feel unloved, they feel neglected. There's something deeper behind that. So go to the emotion rather than, of course I did. I, you know, r- instead of quickly jumping to addressing the issue that seems to be the conflict, what's behind it? Mm-hmm. What there's always, it's almost like an iceberg. There's the thing that they say at the top and there's all these things behind it that's driving why they said that. And I think, I basically think if a communication is going really poorly, slow down. And if it's going really well, slow down. It's always better to just pause, take a moment, reflect, rather than jumping to react because somehow you feel uh, attacked. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's kind of like the cliche argument of you didn't take the trash out, you know, in a couple and I did. Fight never, I did. I know. I don't know. Was, we waited a few days, okay. and I was All getting right. annoyed. Yeah, but so, <laughs> and we and, and we know it's not about the trash, right? <laughs> yeah. That's not right. the issue. It's always something deeper. So we want to look at that. And so each conflict itself, it depends on the relationship, right? There's what we're talking about is the current content of the conflict, but then there's so many deeper layers of the the relationship, the history, how things have gone, what's been said, what's not been said, resentments, all those factors play into it. Um, but I'm you know, looking at the time. We're going to go to commercial break, but I think, yeah, we're, when we're looking at even negotiation and these things, we're, we're starting off with a long conversation about conflict because a negotiation almost by definition is implying there's, there is that, what I was saying, conflict. You want two different things. If you want yeah. the exact same thing, then you wouldn't even have to negotiate. You're, you're finished. Right. But, um, so I think after break, we could talk a bit more because I think there's more to explore with the understanding yourself within conflict and then understanding what's yeah. going on in conflict and then you know, we'll, we'll get more into even negotiation, some thoughts on that. Yeah, as well. a quick teaser for the commercial break so you come back is that often it's not just, it, it assumes that there's conflict, but there actually is, it's that mindset of conflict and zero sum that leads to issues. It might be something where there's mutual gain that you haven't uncovered yet. Yes, that maybe we think there's a bigger conflict or adversarial uh, dynamic than there has to be. Uh, so, again, my guest today, Paramalakwi, we'll be right back. back again my guest today is Parham Malakwi we're talking about um, a course he'll be teaching at Pepperdine related to the law and negotiation and we had been talking a a good amount about conflict because that's going to be definitely a dynamic that'll be a play in any negotiation Um, and something I've talked about recently 
And I say this, not trying to be hyperbolic or dramatic, is that we can consider conflict, the fear of conflict, even like a conflict phobia when it's in its extremes. And I do want to be mindful when we call things like a phobia or a trauma. Sometimes it can trivialize people that are suffering in real significant ways or have a certain disorder. But the reason why the phrasing to me does feel relevant is that um, like all things, it's on a spectrum. But when people have a really strong fear of conflict, they treat it like a phobia in the sense that uh, when we talk about a phobia, you avoid the phobic stimulus at any cost. So, mm-hmm. and that's what people are. Or if you even think you yeah. might get close to it, and you might avoid it, just like people who are so afraid of conflict, it's not that they just avoid the conflict. They might even avoid anything that gets close to the conflict, from a conversation to seeing a person to acknowledging something. Yeah. And so, and I feel like people can have this actual conflict phobia. And the other part that's relevant or makes it work is that the treatment or how to overcome it is the same as any phobia. The only way you overcome it is to face the thing that you're phobic of, that creates the phobia, to see that it's not as scary as you think. So you have to actually engage in some conflicts, smaller scale, just like you would with a phobia, build it up to see that it's not as bad. But it's, it's very difficult. I say that that was a very short synopsis of what it would be like, but that would be the process is that it takes a long time. But really some people, they're experience of of conflict that it's so scary that they'll try to avoid it at any cost yeah i completely agree i made a promise to the listeners before we went to break that's right and at the risk of conflict we've said we've overdone it i know guys i hear it too too many we've made too many jokes about it but we're going to keep doing them there's uh can't sometimes we see it as conflict we but bearing in mind that if you're engaging with someone there's some gain to be had there so if you're buying a car and they're selling the car, there is some area of mutual gain between the two. In strategic negotiation strategy, you actually like lay out what that zone of negotiation is, mm-hmm. the term for it. So the reason you're having that, in, or if it's in a relationship or anything, so there's something to be gained there. And the more curious you are, the more questions you ask, the more open you are, the more you're listening to them, the more you can uncover these areas where that zone of agreement, where you both gain from the communication can be expanded. You might even think of things that you didn't realize where both of you, you can. there's something you can give up that's very low cost to you, but very high benefit to the other side. Mm-hmm. That's why you have a transaction at all. That's why you have the relationship that you have with someone. It's, there's clearly something that you gain by having that friend or having that relationship. So remembering that conflict is a way of enhancing something that actually has value to you, which is either the relationship or some type of transaction. So that I just wanted to put that aside. There's a lot more there we can get into, but mm-hmm. I didn't want to ignore that since a few minutes ago, we mentioned that we would. Now, about the intensity and the trauma that some have around conflict, that's a, that's a big one. And I will just mention quickly and then hear your thoughts on this. I think I had some of that. I remember when I first saw a negotiation in a law school class, and it was, it's a business school class and a law school class. And in both, when I saw the word negotiation, it equaled conflict and uh, adversarial relationships and something um, where you're basically in a bit of a fight. Mm-hmm. And it immediately made me feel certain emotional things. And I wasn't that excited to become someone who's good at negotiating. It felt adversarial. It feels like you had to push the other side down to win. Everything about that felt competitive. And so I, I think I shied away from it a bit at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely can relate to that. And, and listeners um, to the show will know that I've brought up conflict. I mean, it's something I discuss often on the show, but often recently, because I've had some of my own experiences one, I've, I've known that I avoid conflict, so that was there. But then some experiences with conflict where 
I saw how much it was impacting me, but then also how much I had a few moments where I felt that I was more assertive and went into the conflict and how, just like the things I was talking about, it wasn't as bad as I thought. And I was very much happier with the result, especially compared to if I had avoided going into it. So there's definitely something there that I see that in myself and something I still know I need to be mindful of because, you know, I sometimes tell people when you're changing your behavior, it's like trying to change your posture. Like, you know, sometimes you know, okay, let me stand like this. And we both like stood up a little bit more because if you don't think about it, you go back to your comfortable, even if it's unhealthy, but comfortable posture. So we do that with our behaviors too. If if you avoid conflict, you might do it a few times, but if you go on autopilot or if you get stressed, you're likely to go back to your avoidance style because that's the comfort. So, um, yeah, you know, I think it's like a lot of these fears we have, like that we think, well, that's irrational. Okay. Fear of like heights may be okay. You can die from falling, but fear of conflict or fear of public speaking, but we do have to look at the significance. It really comes back to, I think, being social beings, right? How important being social is for humans that if we have issues with being social or our social group accepting us, it really can be a matter of life or death. There was for our ancestors. It's not anymore, but it was a matter of life or death. If you were, you know, kicked out of the community and you tried to survive on your own, you, you would literally die. So it gives some context to why those emotions can be so powerful um, and also can give us some context to realize that those feelings might misguide us rather than guide us in our current environment. But it could be good to re- remember this so we don't just trivialize it. It's like, why do you care? It's like, we can understand why you feel such a strong feeling. That's a great point. You actually opened my eyes up to one issue I hadn't even thought about, which is the evolutionary side to this. Yeah. One would imagine in our ancestral humans, it, it was, it could have been catastrophic to raise an issue in conflict. Yeah. Much easier to just go along with the tribe and not air your grievances as vocally. So that's probably embedded in us now. Most things that were adaptive, a lot of the things that cause us trouble today are just, um, they were adaptive to a prior world. So it might be to our ancestral ancestral humans, and that's embedded in our mind in the way we behave in the world today, and we have to, to, to notice those. And the other might be just in our own histories, mm-hmm. where if you imagine a child where if they raised conflict, they had a parent just completely shut them out, and they lost their love. Or if they saw conflict between two parents, and once there was there, they, they ended up just uh, something explosive would happen in the kids eyes sometimes it wasn't even that explosive but in the kids eyes it was it was terrible mm-hmm. now it, it's very natural for that child now as an adult to avoid conflict because that is an emotional the the trauma as you mentioned it, it really probably was traumatic for that child and that's going to still weigh on us today so it's yeah. very it's, it's almost approaching it with compassion approaching mm-hmm. it the way you would with a child not like why do i do this or why am i avoiding it this is not helping me yeah. Why? Be yeah, curious. In, in yourself or someone else having that compassion. Absolutely. Um, and you actually, you mentioned a word in the previous segment about conflict, like you figure out what works as a kid. And I always, you know, that word works is a, is one that is very loaded for me because I think we use it that way. And then we think it means so much more than that. Somebody's, you know, parents will say, oh, you know, I wanted my kid to study and this worked. And it's like, they got really angry or they shouted and the kid studied that day and did better on that next test, let's say. Um, and But then I always say, okay, works, what does that mean? You might have damaged the relationship, damaged their self-esteem, made them feel bad about themselves. So for just looking at that moment, it quote unquote worked, but really is that what we're working towards or want to work on? And so same thing with our childhood and conflict, you, you know, using your example, you might've learned, okay, the best thing for me is to avoid conflict. This is kind of an unconscious internalization. So don't go into it because my parents do whatever they do that gets out of control, it's too scary. And so that quote unquote works during your childhood, but then we take that into our daily life where 
now we necessarily don't have to do that anymore or doesn't serve us, but we still carry that with us and those feelings automatically come up of this is the scary thing. This is that bad thing. And so, um, yeah, you're totally right that that childhood experience can make us then feel like this conflict is such a scary thing and we should avoid it at all costs. And that's where that conflict avoidance, as you said, we can have compassion for it. It's that it's like bringing up this very visceral, intense feeling of like, the, you know, the sky's falling, like something really bad is happening. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, as you mentioned, that might be in the other person as well. Mm-hmm. And I think what gets in the way of us listening and noticing that, like, ooh, this really, this really hurt the other person. This seemed like it really triggered an intense emotion. Approaching that with curiosity. And I think the only way we can do that, the thing that blocks that, is usually there's this person in our ear all the time when we're negotiating. That's our own inner critic. It's always there. This mental chatter that's always on. And the more we can quiet that down, the more we can take in fully what the other person is showing us. And it might, again, the words that they say, the things that they talk about, the issue even at play in the negotiation might be just just something minor compared to the deeper issue behind it. And the only way we'll see that deeper issue is if we're really paying attention to the other person. Yeah. We're not so self-involved. We're not thinking about what we're about to say next. Are you doing that right now? Absolutely. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to segue this into something. Yeah, no, but uh, yeah, but you're right. I mean, and that's a big thing. I think uh, we'll talk about negotiating later too. And obviously a big part of negotiating is is listening. And to me, listening is when we talk about this active listening. It's listening to the other person and listening to yourself at the same time, right? Because you have to be mindful of both. Um, But yeah, so we were talking about this like fear of conflict. And again, having compassion, conceptualizing in the sense of from an evolutionary standpoint, we can understand from a personal history standpoint, we can understand how that might even be exacerbated, something that might already be within us, this fear of conflict. And just even a more basic thing, it doesn't feel good. Anything that brings tension doesn't feel good. We want it to be released, right? Just think about, you see, you know, we were going to maybe play act something, we maybe won't do that. But if you see that conflict, you just want it to get resolved. Now, sometimes you want to get the popcorn and watch the drama. That can be fun for a little bit if you're so removed from it. But if you have any kind of connection to it, you feel this tension and there's such a relief when it's resolved. Oh, and yeah. so um, for many people, that relief, of course, will come from the place like, well, if I just avoid it to begin with or if I'm the one that gives in, yeah. I get to experience relief. So that's reinforcing as well. Oh, yeah. To jump to resolution when it's actually not a real resolution. Yeah. You know, you don't express what's truly in your heart because you just want it to be en- to end. Let's just, I, can't, yeah. I can't handle this tension. So let me just mm-hmm. give in and say I'm sorry, even though I'm really not. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think those are those are all like, I think ways that again that's where we should tap in why am i so scared of this tension yeah. what it what does this represent what does this remind me of deep deep in the recesses of my mind this is taking me somewhere else yeah where this was deeply traumatic where i was a child who couldn't handle you know imagine a, if it's a small toddler for example or a child what they see when there's conflict in the house might be just the world is ending mm-hmm. now, in reality if you see that with adult eyes it's just two people that have a difference of opinion and they're going to resolve it but from the child's perspective it might be much more uh, the, the gravity might much be much, much weightier. Yeah. So, so that might be. Yeah. Go ahead. Buddy. Well, I was just saying that's. I think what it is is like this feeling of this relationship could end. That's what. But and by the way, it might. So that's the other thing to keep in yeah. mind. You know, some people are such yeah. aggressive, shrewd negotiators. Bearing in mind, you know, there's there's a few things you want at the same time in any negotiation. Let's take it to a business context, for example. You want to get the best possible price, but you still want to make the deal happen. All right. So you can be incredibly aggressive, but you're then risking the deal not happening. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the thing to bear in mind there is what is my best available alternative to a negotiated agreement? This is more in the business context. But what happens if we don't get a deal here? And if you have another good, let's say you need to 
buy a home and it's a one point whatever the price is I don't know doesn't matter two million dollar home and um, you know you have another home that is just as good that's at 1.9 million right so then immediately you'll go to the other one now let's say there's another home that's at 2.2 million so you know that that's your best available alternative right so like you already know you have something else there and once you know that you know how far you can go and that gives you a little bit more peace of mind to say how far can I go how far can I go now in other situations it might be that the alternative is is not you, you don't want to do anything to risk the relationship and there I think it's important to be mindful of sometimes it's better not to win the argument or make your point your goal is to preserve and enhance and deepen your relationship if that's your goal you're gonna approach it with a very different mindset you realize it's not that important to win or to be right or to convince the other you know, sometimes the best reward of winning the argument is a month where they ignore you and treat you poorly yeah I mean that's 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 the win and so it's not a it's remembering that and some people actually are very shrewd negotiators in a business context and then they take that mindset into a relationship and it's just not the right you're playing a different game there yeah the goal there is much more about the relationship and enhancing it deepening it getting to a different level of deeper understanding of each other mm -hmm. yeah I mean any of these things like conflict negotiation it's gonna be hugely impacted by the 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 character of the relationship or what it's what which relationship it is how repeated it is how close you are mm -hmm. because if it's someone you know someone cuts you off and you know sometimes I do honk you've been there um, there's mm -hmm. no need to let's hash it out and figure this out it's done but if it's someone that every morning you're gonna be seeing each other you know at the lobby and they keep going in front of you now mm -hmm. you might be like okay we might have to have a conversation about this because it's repeated it keeps happening yeah. we know each other in some way so there's a lot of factors that come into play but you know you were saying like you have to be willing to have it not work out or for relationships even the end and you know maybe it's not um, that surprising that you're talking about business that I'm bringing you back to like, personal relationships but yeah. but in a personal relationship even like you see couples are like well I'm afraid to bring up this topic because what if it leads to the breakup and mm -hmm. it's understandable that, that would create some anxiety and discomfort but then we're looking at this situation where it's like if you're going to be real in this relationship and that leads to it breaking up then how good is the relationship so clearly we're coming from a space of this fear of losing and that if I don't have it, I'm alone or I'm abandoned and I'm, you know, maybe I find no one else, all those things come up. And so that makes us afraid to potentially create a, a conversation that could have a conflict in it. But again, if we go deeper, we see what kind of relationship am I having if I can't be open with someone. This is huge. And I yeah. think sometimes it's not even that. I think if we have deep, deep shame and insecurity within ourselves, we have this deep-rooted belief that if I reveal all of myself, I won't be loved. Mm -hmm. That's actually, and this is why, again, the self-awareness piece, listening to yourself, tapping in, you mentioned that multiple times, and I agree with you. It is so, it is the, um, the prerequisite, the foundation of good, of good negotiation. If you're not, if you don't have self-awareness, it doesn't matter. You can read all the books and all the techniques in the world won't help you. So realizing that sometimes that's at the core of it that you're, unaf you're afraid, you have to feel like you have to hide certain parts of who you are in a relationship to mm -hmm. get love. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the core issue. It's not even that they wouldn't love it. If you brought it out, sometimes we're very surprised when we're conflict avoidant that when we actually bring up the conflict, it's not as bad as we imagined it would be. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. There's a sense that um, they want me to be easy for them. They want me to be nice. They don't want me to bother them. All those types of people-pleasing um, personality traits that can come along with it and so there's a sense that if I say something they don't like well why would they would just leave because the reason they like me is that I never cause a problem mm -hmm. even though that's actually not the case and uh, when we're people pleasers we actually can't create meaningful relationships and people tend to get frustrated with us because they don't know what we actually feel what we want they don't feel a real human being is engaging with them so there's a lack of depth in that relationship so um, 
you know, you're totally right that often people find that I thought by hiding the conflict that made people like me more, but that by actually bringing things up, that people like them more and they have deeper, more meaningful relationships. And that could be so liberating. Actually, that's the type of relief we would hope. It's like, I can, I can be myself. I can say something you don't like and it makes relationship better. I thought I had to always hold it in to make you like me, you know? There's this, I think, presumption a lot of people have that people want to see me as strong. They don't want to see the weaknesses. And actually, we really notice that often when people show their vulnerability, that's when they're mm -hmm. most interesting and even attractive and most loved. Mm -hmm. Look at artists. They come out and they talk about how hard their heart was broken, how sad they are, and people fall in love with them. You know, it's talking about the most vulnerable thing. I loved you and you didn't love me back is probably the most vulnerable among things that we can feel. It's the thing we're all scared of. Mm -hmm. I loved you, I, put, I opened my heart out to you and you didn't want me back. Every love song, these most famous people in the world, we, we really resonate with people's vulnerability. So I think a lot of that is, I always saw that as growing up as weakness, but actually I think the strongest thing we could do is this is all of me. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid to show you any parts of it. John Legend, yeah. Is that? Uh, <laughs> guys, I'm just going to do song lyrics from that one, and but that's yeah. all my wisdom. But yeah, I mean, I, that's, I, that, and that's why that song actually is really powerful. It's like, it's like all the, the good and the bad. Yeah. Um, all your imperfections, yeah. But anyway, I won't sing the rest of the song. We're just gonna, guys, we're going to sing song lyrics for the rest of the show, and yeah. you're going to learn so much. We have so four much. segments, so we got yeah. a lot of song lyrics coming We're running out, but, out of stuff, so we're just going to yeah, do songs pretty now. much. Um, but uh, yeah, absolutely, this sense that, you know, even as a therapist, this is such a... It happens so often where you'll have a client that you could tell they're very, I mean, you know, it's still ther it's therapy, but people are still going to be concerned about how you see them. Sure. And of course, that's itself is something we try to under, you know, everything is like something you try to I want to my therapist to love me so much. Yeah. It's a very All I want to do thing. is make her laugh and make her um, think I'm interesting. Yeah. It's a very common experience that people are yeah. going to think about. Now, again, that expresses something about the person. And so you'll notice that a client who's very preoccupied or you can tell is presenting themselves in a certain like they talk about things and then you know they might say oh there's something or even they say what they think you want to hear and then after some time you might get to a place where they share some more vulnerable something they think is so bad about mm -hmm. them or this is like this oh, like I don't want to share this and they finally do and I already feel it but science clients was like oh like you probably don't like me as much or you probably right. think worse of me now and really I genuinely tell them and it's really the experience every time that I find you more as a lovable human being now. I find you more um, to connect to than before that. And it's yeah. really it's really true. And it's, <laughs> it's amazing that they thought this image of themselves as so shiny was what's going to look good. But then it's actually this more vulnerable piece that they thought was not good was the, the more lovable part. For sure. I've had, it's, this is going to sound really mean. Get ready, folks. But I had someone, yeah, he ba basically finally said the vulnerable, honest thing. And he's like, I know now you hate me. I'm like, I hated you before when you were pretending <laughs> to be this yeah. strong, macho guy who never feels anything and is never, now I, you actually became yeah. a real person for once. Absolutely. Yeah, so that, you know, this is, um, you know, going to another commercial break. When we're talking about conflict, if we're going to be genuine, we have to embrace conflict. If we avoid conflict, we avoid closeness. Um, and so I think after the break, we can get now, you know, I think we talked a lot about conflict. I still feel like there's so much to dig into that, but we yeah. can now get into negotiation more, really what that entails, what it means. You've touched on it a bit. And then looking at, you know, some, some of your thoughts on, on that. So again, if you come back, you're going to win all the negotiations you ever have for anything you ever there do. You go. Ever. It's a guarantee. Forever. You heard it here so first. You can come if you want. It's your choice. But yeah. Either tune to out and you won't win a negotiation or tune in. Never lose negotiation again. <laughs> we'll be right back. back 
weekend I'm talking to my brother Parham Halakwi about so far it's been mostly about conflict we wanted to switch gears we want to resolve it now resolve now we're going to yeah. resolve the conflicts going into negotiation and go. you did uh, allude to this point that we do just associate negotiation with conflict but there's even a range of how conflictual our mindset has to be when we go into a negotiation or how conflictual it'll become um but yeah, even in the term negotiating, what do you even like, how would you define it or describe it? What are we even talking about here? Yeah, well, I think one thing to keep in mind, I think when people come into a negotiation, they're often really entrenched in their positions. Mm -hmm. So one example that comes to mind, there's, uh, there's two people that were fighting over the orange, there's two people in the kitchen, these two cooks. And um, they both said, I want the orange. The other said, I want the orange. And there's just one. So what do you do there, right? There's no yeah. the answer. There's one, con there's one orange and there's two people that want it. That's their position. But if you go into their interests, you might be able to uncover a solution in which everyone can win. Now, what could that be? One side, if you ask them, why do you want the orange, says, I need the peel. I need the peel of the orange. I'm making this dessert. And the other side says, you know, I, I don't need the peel. I just need the, the juice of the, of the orange. I'm making this, yeah. this dressing. Well, if we uncover the interests, now we're able to actually solve the entire problem with one orange. Right. We didn't know that one. It was just about positions. I need the orange. A lot of disputes are about that. Once you are a little bit more curious, why do you need this? Ask a couple why questions. Why is this important to you? And then you might be able to uncover different areas and the zone of agreement expands. The potential areas of a more creative outcome that serves everyone's interests better can, can expand. You, you might realize that the other side is very, very worried that, let's say it's a concert. You're planning a concert. There's a performer and then there's an artist and obviously there's a lot of issues over how much are you gonna pay the artist? That's the conflict. Mm -hmm. But another thing that they care a lot about is this, the person who's putting together the event has had so many performers not show up or not perform, where if the singer gives the organizer some assurances that this is very easy for them to do, they never renege on their agreements, make those clear, that's very low cost to the performer, it's very, very high value to the, to the venue. Now, if you just stick to the one issue of money and cost and price, you won't be able to uncover these bigger things, these zones of agreement that could end up serving both parties. So that ends up, I think, framing the type of discussion you should have, realizing that it's approaching with curiosity. What do you care about? What is, why is this important to you? How can, are there, are there other ways that I can serve your interests? And it usually, almost always, isn't exclusively about money. It's usually about many other things. The performer might say, you know what? The reason I'm doing this, even bigger than the money, is my prestige, my status, and my ability to do other concerts to make more money. Well, how can we enhance that? What can we do to make that um, more favorable to you. And until you ask those questions, you're just going to be fighting over the one issue, which is just the money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, you're, you know, you're bringing up these different mindsets that can be important uh, strategies or letting go of some of the mindsets you might have, which is like, we have to be totally in opposition and seeing like, maybe there are more areas where we actually agree, or maybe we in a good way value some things differently so we can trade those in a better way where I, I need this more and you don't need it as much or you can give me a reassurance that has a lot of value for me but costs you very little um, and I guess yeah. that's like this just like bigger picture notion of what is a negotiation we do I think it conjures up this instant has to be a push bull has to be a fight and someone's going to win and someone's going to lose and you want to be the winner and you definitely don't want to be the loser and so I think that's what most people think going into Mm -hmm. or imagining a negotiation that it has to be so adversarial i think there is some you know we also don't want to sugarcoat it that it's uh there's no you know 
conflict there, and that's why we're bringing that up. There, there's something. If there wasn't, there wouldn't be a negotiation. Maybe, as you said, that example with the two cooks, and I think it shows how little we cook where we're talking about an orange is like the main <laughs> ingredient that or- that cooks are fighting over. But I know like 10 ingredients. That was yeah, one of them. So that's one of them. But you know, that one, it turned out there actually wasn't a conflict. They thought there was a conflict. They thought we were fighting over something, but it turns out they weren't because we both thought we needed the orange, but we need different parts of it. So actually, if we clear things up or communicate more, we see that there's no nothing to negotiate really or there's nothing to have a conflict over but we're talking about here they both actually want the orange and all of it right so that's yeah. where that negotiation comes into play where there is some level of conflict and maybe that's one aspect of it you look at how how far apart are we um, but that's you know the other person has to want to have that conversation right so they have to want to have that yeah, yeah. I mean I just uh, the the orange I know it sounds like a simple thing but I really think sometimes our deep deep disagreements even in a relationship context could be about the orange the mm-hmm. one side says you know you don't uh, you never clean up around the house and that's their way of like showing love is if you do the things that I care about but there might be a way that if they really are just I want you to pay attention to me I want you to acknowledge me and show me love maybe there's another way you can have that orange both of you like the person wants to show you love but just you're, you're more cognizant of this is the way that he or mm-hmm. shows love or she shows love let me be more cognizant or let me realize you know what this isn't just about the dishes I hate doing that but when I do that she sees that I'm showing love to her so I'm going to do it so I think when we go a layer deeper, why is this issue important? I think the same thing happens in negotiations as well of all types, whether it's an interpersonal relationship or a business negotiation. The other thing I think that's critical to bear in mind is that the mindset that I'm here to defeat you is the wrong mindset to have in a negotiation. The other side should come out feeling ecstatic about how how the the negotiation went. If it went well, they feel good and you feel good. Mm Otherwise, why do the deal? No one's forcing you into it. And this goes back to recognizing that if this deal doesn't happen, where am I? Where am I in the world? How much, how much do I need this? In general, the side that has the bargaining advantage has a much better alternative to the deal. The concert, the performer has another venue ready to go on the same date, so they don't need this. They're going to be able to leverage in that zone of agreement where both of them benefit. It's going to be a little closer to them. That's just the way things are. So knowing that in yourself and as much as possible, discovering that in the other person. Mm-hmm. Knowing, oh, what other options do they have? Let me try to uncover that, reveal that. So the purpose of a negotiation is not to push down the other side and win. There definitely is a distributive, it's called dis- the distributive side of the art discussion. Is really just, at some point, the more I pay you, the more you get, and the worse off I am. That's mm-hmm. just purely distributive. But there's also a lot of things that through uncovering, having a conversation, and really listening so as much as listening is so critical in a personal relationship a friendship with your child it's really important in business negotiations as well and Mm -hmm. the best way to listen the thing that gets in the way of that is not being in your own head yeah now let me let me ask you about this though so you're you're right about this if we can get things out on the table i might see the things that value to you you know we, we see these like areas where we overlap um but as I was, you know, I kind of mentioned it briefly. It's like that's assuming the other person will want to walk into that same way, and I think that's kind of oh. why this conversation is significant. Is because I think most people think it's so adversarial. I'm not going to reveal. You know, it becomes mm-hmm. very hide everything, even if you need to lie a bit or misguide. So people think that again, going back to this very adversarial, conflictual nature of what negotiation conjures up for most people is that I have to go into this, 
you know, with this very like hidden agenda. Don't tell them the truth. If actually I do care about something, don't tell them. You know, just that's how most people approach. uh, I think or think they should approach a negotiation. Yeah, well, some things are. Yeah, so so it's about recognizing what things you should disclose and what things we shouldn't. We usually err on the side of not disclosing enough mm-hmm. or not disclosing the right elements that could be helpful to both sides. And often when we open up a little bit about things that are not damaging our strategic objective in the agreement, it allows them to open up as well. So a little bit of that even, I don't know if I to call it vulnerability, but just being a little bit more openness, not being afraid of revealing, you know, this is really important to me and this is why. Maybe there's a way that they can address that. Mm-hmm. But there's some things you don't disclose. So there's this thing called the reservation price. This is the, let's say if I'm buying something, this is the maximum price at which I would still do it. Mm-hmm. Don't give that away. Because you want to get as low as possible, right? The goal is if you're willing to pay 100, you don't want to tell them 100. You want to leave that a secret. Because the moment they know it's 100, that's the offer. Nothing less. Why would they? Same for you. If mm-hmm. you know exactly what their bottom line price is, you're going to get right to that. If they're willing to do the deal for 30, you're going to say 30, I leave if you don't do it for 30. Mm-hmm. If 30 is above their best available alternative, 30, or I walk away. And they'll still do it because it's still worth it for them. So that's information that keep it a secret till the end of time. They so how would you know. differentiate what you should disclose and not disclose? Anything that's a distributive piece of the agreement. Distributive meaning that it's very, what in economics we call zero sum. If you get more, I get less. Purely, pure and simple. Mm-hmm. Anything that's, for example, in the area of price is the one that's clearly distributive. So the moment, it's literally dollar for dollar. The more I get, the less you get. The problem is we take that dollar for dollar zero sum side of the deal and we apply it to everything. Mm-hmm. Everything is a secret. Don't tell them the other things. The, pro- the reason you want to bring a lot more information in is because those other things are not purely distributive. It's not one-to-one. I give you 10 and you get 100 back. Mm-hmm. So we want to do that. We just gained 90. I mean, this is a very theoretical, but there's a yeah. lot of areas where that, that is the case taking it to even a relationship context, there might be something that for me, it's so easy. Just a little bit of thoughtfulness, of course I'll do that. And the person on the other side, the partner feels a thousand. I, I gave up five, find those. So that I think is where we use, we usually tend to be, because of our insecurities, because of our shame, because we're afraid to reveal parts of ourselves. And deeper than that, the biggest one, we don't even know what those things are. Mm. We haven't taken the moment to, to have the self-awareness to say, what do I really want out of this? So before you go into a negotiation, tell yourself, why do I want this? Yeah, I want to, you know, buy this car. Why? What is, it, what is it about the car? That, what does it signify? What are the things that I'm trying to get? Are there other ways of achieving those objectives? Is it to show off and look cool in front of people? Is this the best way to do that? In a relationship, what is it that I'm, why am I asking for this from my partner? Why is this the big issue that I keep pushing for? What's behind that? Mm-hmm. identifying that then once you have the self-awareness then you could put it out there and the other side can can use that. or or first you decide what you want to put out there right so you might not put like you said might not put everything out there but the f- self-awareness is that first piece of, like understanding what's important for you how much what's what's more important and for what reasons and what degree because to me these things are gonna be very complex it's not just i want this it's like i want this but okay up until a certain point or this is the most significant part or if i get more reassurance i can let go of this it usually is dynamic I think we've talked, uh, you know, me and you talk about this a lot that, uh, and I talk about this when I look at economics at times, a concern I have is that the things that can get quantified become like the only things, right? So the things that matter most and the only things is 
the quantifiable things, and especially money is this one mm-hmm. where we place the ultimate value on that. If you got more money or less money or whatever that is, that's the only thing. Yeah. And people forget about how much else goes into any kind of situation, but even a negotiation where obviously the money can be part of it and is, it can be a big part of it. It's not to say it doesn't matter, but sometimes we think that's the only part and the only part to push and pull on rather than seeing, as you're saying, sometimes those other elements there might be more flexibility that there's more win-wins there as well for sure i think a lot of the evils of the world and the insecurities within ourselves are because we have a zero-sum mindset in a world of abundance there's a lot there's enough for all of us but we still carry this mindset that if if i don't take what's mine or if i don't um you know we live with fear unfounded fear a lot of times and in love we do it sometimes oh if i reveal all the same thing we were talking about when people reveal their vulnerability they think that's the end of it and maybe at a time in your life it was or maybe because you feel so much shame about yourself you feel that it is and i think so many things the the and in the business context the zero something take a look at why i mean you know it's really easy to measure money why do you want money security love what's behind it what is behind it maybe there's another faster more seamless more efficient and more beautiful way to get those things than, than that thing that everybody else tells you you should want. Yeah. Um, would you have to go to another commercial I break? always, for the break, I'm looking into your eyes. I don't know when it is. I can't tell. Yeah. So I just from, it's like a little child I'm, looking I'm negotiating at a, the mother it to see what, <laughs> I when is up, it? Yeah, there's clocks behind us, but there's, it's not a set time. It's I oh. guess n- now it is the time I mean, the go. set time we're, is when you decide. Well, we're a few like, minutes late now. You're in charge. Firehood is looking at me like, yeah, you should have went four minutes You're ago. You're the boss. So she's ready for us to go. Uh, but we will go to another commercial break, but we will be right back. Again, joined by my brother, Parham Palakwi. Welcome back. Joined by my brother Parham Holakwi. We were talking about the last segment, negotiation in particular. Um, during the break, you know, we brought up this big theme of listening. So obviously negotiation involves so many things and it's going to involve communication so that's a big part of it is how you communicate what you're communicating and when we're looking at communication actually sometimes i think people will start by like how you express things and then they'll talk about listening second but i also maximize to show how important listening is it mm-hmm. can be good to like talk about listening first because i think it gets kind of like the okay it's it's still pretty important don't forget what? that yeah i'm not exactly. sorry yeah say that again i saw you zone start out. from the okay. beginning yeah. No, listening is so important. Um, I hear every by the, every word, Fatty. Thank you. I'm trying to be that. right. I'm like absorbing you fully, not just the words. I'm listening, like watching your face. Okay. Yeah. Listening is so important, and I think it's particularly important when it's hardest to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So when we're, it's really easy to to listen when we're in a positive state of mind and things are tranquil. Oh, you want to, you know, you want to go get coffee? I'd love to get coffee. We listen to that. It's the moment when we feel like we're not being heard. They're neglecting our emotions. Something is in conflict. That's when we shut down because we're thinking about, I can't believe they did what they did. That's, you're not in a place to listen. It's actually when it's needed the most by both mm-hmm. sides to be approaching with some curiosity yeah. about what the other person is telling us. So and the tough thing about listening is, is that, is that the, the challenge is, you know, I don't know if in therapy, for example, you teach couples. We have couples come in that you need to sort of pay attention and listen to the other. And I think in the therapeutic setting, when things are easy and tranquil, people do. You know, oh, you, honey, you want the salt? Here's the salt. It, it seems mm-hmm. like that's what you want. Yeah, it's easy. But then when it's something about something they don't want to hear, mm-hmm. that's often when we shut down. It's something we don't really want to listen yeah. to, and we just tune it out. 
So if we, you know, looking at why that might be, you know, it's like when it's louder inside of me, it's harder for me to take in more, right? right? So yeah. if I'm, uh, you know, anxious or angry about what you said and I'm kind of fuming, there's a lot going on inside of me. There's less space for me to take in what you're saying and obviously more than just the words, like how you're expressing it, all those things. So it's tough. It's going to, you know, it's always going to be more challenging and we need it the most, but it's it's harder for us to do it then. Understandably, that's why we sometimes need to cool down or give ourselves some space because we're not going to be um, taking things in. Really nothing. Once you start yelling and getting into like a intense place, the conversation never leads to a resolution. You need to you need to let yourself calm down. So I tell this with parents, with their teenagers, yeah. couples, if you're like at the yelling point and the, you know, saying mean things, it's not going to get, it could only get worse. You need to stop because you can't really have a meaningful conversation. So there's some level of calm. You don't, it doesn't mean you have like no emotion, but you can't be this heated because you just can't take another person. You aren't really fully hearing yourself. These emotions get too big that you don't mm -hmm. even hear the rest of what's going on. You're just focused on, I'm so mad right now. So you can't even hear the part where I still care about my partner. Or I'm still worried about this. So um, yeah, listening is really important. And so I guess it's that we have to stay within a certain emotional framework to be able to even fully listen to someone to take them in and that's just something to be aware of even like we're talking about negotiation if you're it gets heated you can keep going but it's probably not going to get to a better place once you reach a certain limit uh, yeah completely and i think it is sometimes important to to step away stepping away might be physically stepping away from the mm -hmm. getting your bearings and letting things sort of sit and letting the emotion dissipate a little bit because when our emotions are heightened we are being reactive and when we're being reactive we're not actually properly communicating that's often when the, the problems arise because then it's really just about making your point mm -hmm. people think persuasion is about talking <clears throat> i'm going to talk you into the thing that i need you to do mm -hmm. i'll show you persuasion is often more about listening because you're finding how it is that i can <laughs> there's a really nice quote it's uh basically that communication and negotiation is really about getting the other person to behave the way you want them to <laughs> basically like it's it's getting them it's getting them to see your side and take your side and do that thing so willingly like they want to do the thing that actually you want so you want to find you know imagine a a child that wants to sleep a little bit later doesn't want to have to do their homework um they might just realize okay what is it that my parent cares about my parent cares about me getting my homework done maybe there's another way that i can find the thing that they want and I achieve my end. I want to stay up and watch this cartoon, but I know if I can wake up like 30 minutes earlier and get my homework then they get their needs met, I get my needs met. So being able to understand what is it that my parent actually cares about and can I meet that need, that preference that they have and still get the thing that I want done? Well, I, I kind of maybe took issue to the part because there was a sense of if you're communicating, you have to get your way. Like, And I, I think what you said goes back to what you were saying before of finding what you both can be happy with but the way it, you kind of said it had a bit of a get them. Oh, to I saw do your what reaction you to it. Yeah. Re I was about to leave the room. <laughs> but yeah, you were listening with your eyes I was because listening. I had this sense of like get it because that's what people start saying. Okay, how do you get people to think you care about them so then they do what you want at the end of the day? And that to me is like a. I, I obviously I don't think you think that's good, but that's the sense of you know the sentiment at times. I, I don't like, anymore. I okay. changed my. Okay. No, I agree with you completely. That's a great point. You know, so I it's because some people think okay, be empathic yeah. so people will give you what you want. It's like okay, that's not genuine empathy. That's you know, it's also you know, me and you could joke about this where it's like four things to make it your partner think you care. It's like you have to just genuinely care, not do these fake things that make them think that. Um, so I think. 
but then the way the way you explained it with that child and trying to kind of in a way get his way, but he was trying to understand, well, my parents are trying to stop me from doing what I want. But if I actually understand what it is that they want, we can both win. Like they can have what they want. And it wasn't just like they'll do exactly what I want. Yeah. It was a win-win there in the way you described it. Um, but I think that is something to be mindful of. People sometimes will think, okay, how do I use these tactics to get my way only or make? And that's a understandable that's you know we're all trying to do that at some level there's a, mm-hmm. a desire for that everyone would like to have it go their way every time but recognizing that that's an unhealthy expectation and an unhealthy framework because if for relationships you know um is something that's uh, that's all that's no no let's reaction. talk about this it's yeah. very important no your reaction was actually here's why guys let's just it's, it's just us right it's just it's, we can we don't have to hide anything i butchered the quote I destroyed that. I tried to say a quote. There's a Harvard Law School professor. The quote is, negotiation is the art of letting someone else have your way. It's a little better than what uh, I said. It's still okay. What I said, I, I got lost. Bladdy still hates it. So here's the thing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's good. It's good. No, but, here's, here's the issue. Yeah. Here's the issue. In fact, you bring up a very meaningful point. Very important point. This is not about manipulation. Um, especially if it's someone you have a longstanding relationship with. What do you gain when you've manipulated them? When you've somehow dis- you've used deceptive tactics to get something that you wanted in the end, somehow you've damaged the relationship in the process of getting this one outcome that you want in this one instance. Mm-hmm. Even in a business context, if you're repeatedly going to be interacting with someone and you've made them sort of through some deceptive tactics, whether it's manipulating their emotions or their feelings or, or presenting something that's not factual, something untrue, whatever, if you've done something to, to twist things and get the thing that you want, I think that's a recipe for poor relationships going forward. Yeah. And again, taking a broader perspective, why do I want this? And usually, um, yeah, I mean, imagine like the kid using some manipulative tactic to stay up a little bit longer and get what they wanted. I mean, I think that can work in the short run to sort of pry on the vulnerabilities of a parent to, to someone like, I don't know, uh, present like remorse and sadness and get the thing that you wanted um i don't think that's what negotiation is it's like this performance of 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 getting the things that you want through manipulating emotions i think it really is about empathy and understanding of the other side and i think then you're not you're just presenting things in a way that is more catered to the interests that they have so for example Let's say you want to relocate. You're in a job. You want to relocate to another city. One way to present that is to say, focus on yourself. So there's like first position, second position, third position. First position is why I want this. I want to relocate there because I would rather live in this other city, New York City. I'm in LA. The second position is the company that you're trying to get this from. From their perspective, it might be advantageous for you to be in New York and be closer to certain of your colleagues. So they care about the bottom line and profits. So from that perspective, that so rather than focusing on, I want this, why do they want this? Do that. Third position is you take a, a broader look. What is someone on the outside seeing here and seeing it from that perspective? That also can be helpful. The worst thing to do is go forward with my, this is why I want, this is why you should give it to me. That's usually the least effective of the three. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's manipulative to just bring more attention no. to the other sides of this act that benefits the other side. Yeah, if it's it, and that's because that's genuine, right? So it's yeah. not like you're trying to make it seem like they're getting something they want. You're like, okay, this is how it works for both of us, like a genuine 
uh, win-win. I think that's, and that's important to look at. So what does other person want? And let me understand that. And how do we find that middle ground word? So, and when we say even win-win, obviously doesn't mean everyone gets exactly what they want. Then there wouldn't be, that's really usually not possible or else there wouldn't be a need to negotiate. Some, you know, you're going to give up something or uh, some things won't be exactly as you want them to be. That's just something you have to expect. But that's, um, you know, what I said and that reaction I had to what you mentioned is a theme that's going to come up here too, because some people I'm sure there's negotiation tactics that will teach you the ways to do things that I would, I would, let's say, maybe they don't consider unethical, right? Approach things in a way that you do win more and you might. And they say, look, if you do this, you're going to get 30% more than if you do this other way. And it involves manipulating them in some way, saying these things, oh, people fall prey to these four. If you say these four words and usually these things are not true, but let's Mm -hmm. say you say these things, people think you care and then they're going to give you what you want. Right. So, uh, and, or with sales, I see this a lot where it's like these finding these sales tactics where you know, obviously, when they, if you ask a salesperson, they say, oh, I want to genuinely provide people and it's a win-win. But when they're going to some of these, you know, trades and uh, conferences about how to sell, it's usually about how do you kind of trick them into getting the thing that they don't need? I'm kind of reminded of Wolf of Wall Street, where he was kind of like getting the person to buy the, the penny stocks. And, you know, he didn't care about the person. He's just trying to, how do I trick this guy into thinking he's going to miss a big deal? I just came on my desk, you know, all this stuff that, you know, I get it. There's some art to that. I'm not going to say there's nothing to it. But that's, you know, for me, if I'm sharing with someone what I think they should do to live a better life, it won't be, this is how you kind of win every negotiation, even if it means doing things that aren't ethical or aren't fair to the other person. Completely. And I think the presumption that underlies that, the reason I was even, let's say, a a bit, I had some aversive reaction to negotiation in general is I thought that's what it is. Yeah. I thought that it's about making people do things they don't want to do because that somehow benefits you. Yeah. Strong arming them into something that is benefiting you that actually is to their detriment. And that's that's what it is to selling them something they don't need, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're playing the wrong game. There's a different game where you don't have to do that. There's all these opportunities in the world to engage in, even in a work context and a business context, in which it doesn't require something that harms the other person for you to, wait, to win. Mm-hmm. It's not always a war. It's not always a battle. Sometimes it's about finding the zones of agreement in which everyone is better off and you will sell them something for which the cost, say the marginal cost of the item, the total cost, the price they're paying is higher than that, but the willingness to pay and what they gain from it is also far in excess of what they paid. That's a good transaction. They win and you win. Everyone wins. And so you want to actually, all you're doing is bringing attention, allowing them to see that this is going to benefit them more than the price they're going to pay. That's very, very different. It's a very different mindset and approach to, I would say, even let's say marketing yeah. than I'm going to have to make them buy something they don't need. How do I trick them into doing that? Yeah. And I mean, but I, I get, I agree with you, but some people will still want that. And look, I'm not here to tell, like people can live how they want. It's just, what is, what's the result going to be? To me, it's, they're going to, I don't think they'll feel good about what they're doing, but they might feel good about it. And it does, again, this goes back to that word works. Some people make a lot of money doing unethical things. It works in the sense of all you care about is making money. So, and that even goes back to what you were saying before of, Ask yourself, what is it? What do I want? What is yeah. my intention? Some people's intention is, I don't care if I hurt people. I just want to make money. I disagree with that. I think it's the wrong way to live. But that's how some people will approach their life. And that's just, that's, that is a reality for uh, people. That's something that's, that, that is there. Um, but I think recognizing, as you were saying, that negotiation doesn't have to be that. I think some people think it has to be that. It's mm-hmm. either you got to hurt the other person or you get hurt and there's no other way. It's zero sum and there's a clear winner and a clear loser. And there can't be this win-win is 
kind of like a fantasy land thing. And I agree with you that that's not the case. You could meet someone that that is the case. Where it you, is. You only so, can, you know, you won't be able to win-win with them because they're not willing to they're not. have that and, kind of And I think the one thing that I think is, imp- the one reason it's important to know what those manipulative tactics are, those persuasion tactics that are designed to deceive, is to recognize when they're happening to you, to quickly identify what's happening. And they're, they're happening all the time. People are trying to scam us. There are people that are going to come after you in certain ways. And being able to notice those is important. Not just in a business context. Some people carry that in a relationship. It's very adversarial in a relationship. Like, I need to mm-hmm. get more than the other oh, side. Yeah. That's Run away. Run, 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 run from that person. Yeah. Because a relationship is not supposed to be, it's definitely not supposed to be zero sum. Everyone should, one plus one should equal three, or hopefully, I don't know, 100. Whatever it is, it should make you both bigger and better and evolve more and grow more. And everyone gains from showing one of the beautiful things about love sorry to get corny we were just talking about business so i have to counter it with love but the beauty of love is the more you give the happier it makes you also if it's given mm-hmm. with the right intentions and to someone Absolutely. that that you feel um, gratified and, and feel so there's nothing better than that so they feel wonderful you feel wonderful it should be that way and yeah. so um i think that mindset just leads to don't just do it because it's good to do and it's ethical it makes you a happier more fulfilled person that lives a life of more meaning. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's good. I do think, obviously, it's better. It's just realizing the reality of some people will still, you know, they choose that other that other path. Um, but, yeah, what you're saying about relationships, unfortunately, many people, they look at every interaction as a transaction, including even their closest relationships. Yeah. Who's winning? Who's losing? How much am I giving? How much yeah. am I getting? Yeah. And as you said, like, that's the... Um, that's just going to lead to an unhappy relationship because it's constantly a push-pull rather than, as you said, it's, it's cheesy or corny, but it's true. It's a relationship where both people are trying to give their 100% to the other person in a way where they don't feel this sense of I have to keep track because they actually feel this, my partner has my best interest in heart. I want to have their best interest in heart. It's very possible. And then it does feel like this, as you're saying, rather than scarcity, there's an abundance. There's not a lack of love. There's not a lack of time. You know, there's enough of everything because we're both focused in that that right way yeah and when people have that mindset everyone's better off in the same way that in a relationship when both sides are keeping score you know oh i, I had one mahmoudi and they only had you know i have four last year they had two mm-hmm. so i think i'm they owe me i'll two. invite them but they can't eat or something they can't right to make it even right so you're keeping a tally and and then so you look at them a little differently like you you owe me something I think the more you're keeping score, the worse the relationship tends to be. Mm-hmm. This is one of those, and by that, that doesn't mean, by the way, be the free rider who just goes yeah. to the Mehmunis and never offers and never, you know, you want to be someone who's cognizant of those things, aware of those things. You should actually invest in your relationships in those ways. But uh, the keeping score takes away from the relationship. You know, there's some mm-hmm. things that the moment you quantify it, it's taken away from it. It's taken yeah. away from the meaning that it had. If, if you think about in a, a relationship, oh, you know, I, I don't know. I, the more keeping score you do, I think that tends to be worse. Absolutely. What's, what's the solution here, Fatty? So well, you don't want to keep score, but you also have no, to be cognizant of it. No. So, I mean, I think, you know, you're right. You know, we have to be aware of like the idealizing. Don't keep score. Because at the end of the day, that won't make sense. If someone gives you a ride 50 times and they never offered for you, you're going to feel right. something. Yeah. And there's even some, I forgot, like a neuroscientist did some research finding something like, I forgot it was like 80, 20, 70, 30. There's some percentage of a give and take that people are willing to tolerate that pass that they won't. And that makes sense. Like we don't like to feel used or exploited or that our, we're putting more into a friendship than we're getting. Again, yeah, hopefully you're not counting literally to the penny or the cent or the minute. Oh, I talked for eight minutes. You talked for eight and a half. Um, but we do have a, you know, we have to be mindful of people that will, 
will, you know, we're going back to, they do have that mindset of get, getting more than they give. So they might even do that in their friendships. And so I think to me, it's always initial. It's kind of like even with trust. It's like, look, you shouldn't just give someone $10,000 like the first time you met, meet them, but you have yeah. to have enough trust to hear. I'm going to give you five. And then if you pay me back that five, I'll feel better than give you 10. And then it builds, right? So yeah. but you have to have that default of, of giving first. And I think the same thing with your friendships or your building relationships is that I'm going to have a default of I'm going to give a bit more, not even think about what I'm getting. But over time, it's it's not a black or white. Like I'm just going to never think about it or I'm always mm-hmm. going to think about it. A, I think you start with this mindset, start with this type of a way of beginning the relationship. But you have to keep track because, again, realistically, um, we're not going to like to feel, you know, that we're being uh, manipulated, used or not getting what we're giving in a relationship. There's some some balance there. Speaking I didn't of, get to I didn't get to give enough in that last in part. So I'm gonna, when we come back from the break, I have something to much more giving, con- giving. from Power Home. He'll be sharing a lot more after to make the break. To even the score, you know, I'm going to get better at listening. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Um, in the previous segment, we were talking a bit about keeping score or not keeping score. We were score, talking. I was say. talking. And no, you uh, were listening to me. But yeah, I think you had a comment about that keeping score when it comes to how much you give and take in relationships. Yeah. I mean, so the reason is I was actually, I was marking the number of seconds you were talking. Yeah, it was more. And I just want to make sure it's even, you know. So um, I just think even when one has a mindset, some people when they give, if you're keeping score in a way... Um, you've decided that it's I'm sacrificing something. I'm giving something up. And I think when we think of it, like imagine, I don't know, you're, you're buying ice cream for your child. Are you thinking, oh my God, I'm giving something. Like I, I did that for them. Yeah, so the more, well, the but, more you but, think like, of it. A child it, relationship is a, it, is different. it, it should be one-sided. If you're, keep, if you're keeping score <laughs> that your kids haven't bought you stuff when they're like three years old, you're in a lot of trouble. Give me a call anytime. But yeah. Uh, i tell you something. Yeah. My nieces and nephews, they still haven't paid me back. I bought yeah. them a couple ice creams and I'm still waiting. Yeah. It's... I don't know. Don't hold your breath. Bad negotiation. No, it's it really is, though. I wish we would have... Of course, it's very different when it's your niece, your nephew, your child. It is different. But I wish we... I think we're happier when we see it more that way. That giving sure. is also its own reward. Oh, absolutely. That we feel good doing it. Like, I get to entertain people in my house. How beautiful. How wonderful. Yeah. What a gift to me to be able to do that. Absolutely. And when we receive love from those from people that have that mindset, isn't it much nicer than when you feel oh, like totally. they're sort of taking into account? Guess, no, I mean, I think a hundred percent. I mean, I don't think it's a good, I'm not saying keep, you know, buy a notebook and keep score of like everything you've done for someone. And what I shouldn't, done for you. I should no, put that away. Though. Throw that away <laughs> or delete the app if you have it. But yeah. um, I was, I was saying, well, and even what you were saying, like if you're actively keeping score. And so it reminds me, I think that's why it was like the, the neuroscientists, I don't, I should look it up uh, to be more precise, but it's that these things happen automatically, right? It's just yeah. like, um, I would think this neuroscientist, if he's talking about keeping score, he's probably keeping score like how of, of you not doing yeah, that. How people yeah, him? Should I should have talked about his he study cares. better. But it's like yeah. kind of the sense of like, let's say you walk into a place, if you've had a lot of bad experiences, you know, you might like just feel tense when you walk there. It doesn't yeah. mean you're keeping score consciously, like, oh, six good times, four bad times. Um, mm-hmm. But you just will feel that. So I think he, that was the the That's notion that you might feel that. And so it could be good yeah. to recognize that. Oh, maybe I feel a, a resentment. I feel like I've done more. And you might even by recognizing and working through the feeling, let go of it a bit more, or recognize, okay, I, I have this reaction, but you might then be, okay, well, but then my friend's going through a hard time. So I have that feeling come up that I'm doing more than they are, but I might be able to recognize maybe it makes sense right now. And I get yeah. that they're struggling. So I guess that's what I was saying. It's like also, it you know, it's it, it, I, I totally agree with you as an aspirational mindset to not keep track, especially, and then the closer the relationship, the less, you know, you want to do that, especially in the longer the relationship. You know, you might be with your, 
you might have, you know be married and your partner gets depressed and so for a while they're going to be quote unquote giving a lot less than they're you know than than you yeah. are but that should be hopefully the sense of okay i'm gonna you know here through thick and thin that's why we make these vows to commit that it's not just as soon as it gets a little bit uncomfortable or uneven even i'm yeah. gonna let go well speak for yourself I, yeah i don't no i think no you're absolutely right and i think sometimes um you know i think it's really really important to as like you said as an aspirational when you give give for its own good not thinking about what it does but i also think you know the prime above all other factors that lead to happiness and health is connections and our relationships mm -hmm. so we spend so much time investing in our career and other things and maybe not enough time in the thing that most leads to our own happiness so in a sense i remember dad used to say this that like you should even like buy friends for your children for your kids that's how important those relationships are and in a different sense investing in what what better to invest yourself in your time your energy your money than fostering and cultivating those relationships valuing Absolutely. that above other things and sometimes that really is you know taking the effort to make the call so that's like just reaching out being emotionally open to them and checking in on them but also maybe you know, planning a dinner planning a night out like so investing in that way i think value it reveals your 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 values mm -hmm. It reveals what is it that you care about. If I care about relationships, I'm going to invest my time, my energy, my money in making sure I cultivate these relationships. I don't let them go away because um, they will. And that includes, let's say, your spouse, your children, your friends, your family. I think we often, it's really easy to neglect those things. Yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah, as a mindset that you were sharing um, with your friends, let's say, relationships that are not family am I putting time into this and not thinking, are they putting equal time? So I, I agree with you that that's the, the mindset is not thinking of it in a, how much are they doing? Well, I called the last time they have to call this time, you know, and, but that's mm -hmm. what I mean. Like over time you might feel that if you make the plans every time and yeah. they never reach out to you, that's what I meant by the, I agree with you, but you might feel, and it might even be coming back to conflict. It could be worth yeah. bringing up. Hey, you know, like, yeah, I felt this way that I'm, you know, reaching out, like what's going on. And that could be an un very uncomfortable conversation. Yeah, I like, I like you that know? you brought that back to conflict. This is a yeah. big one. I think this is one of the hardest ones is the conflict that arises around you're not investing as much in me as I am in you. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's a, that's a vulnerable one. Because I think that touches on that deep, even like childhood trauma of I'm not lovable. It, it goes really deep to be, to put yourself out there in that way to say, you know, I'm really investing in this relationship. It seems like you're not mm -hmm. any kind of relationship. That's a tough conversation. It's a difficult one yeah. because it makes it can come across as very small and weak when you when you present that. I, I, I would I don't know. Maybe how do you feel about that? Should well, you do this? I mean, it seems I, like it's it's very needy almost. To, it can be, but that's why I think it goes back to this. Um, maybe that's now that you're saying that it made me think of another element of why I might have brought up this this topic is that of like how okay it's ideal to think that way, but be aware of these things is because. Someone hearing this might be someone who gives too much in their relationships and never lets someone give them back, right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I totally do that. I'm good. Where it's like maybe there's something missing there too, right? So uh, we should be in relationships where we can give and receive. Not that we're keeping track, but that there's an openness. And so if we're aware of that, you know, am I giving, you know, some people actually, they might have it the other way. Rather than make, oh, they're not giving enough. They might feel like they gave me something. Can I make, let me make sure I'm giving them more because there is this, you know, feeling of you know self-esteem or their own worth where they think... Yeah. If I'm not giving more, people are not going to want to be around me. So they have to make sure the scales are tipped 
in that direction. So, it, yeah, going yeah. back to nothing of this self-awareness, being mindful. Yeah, maybe you, sure. you notice someone will point you, you know, it seems like often you think people are not doing enough in your relationships, but, you know, maybe that your perception is seeing it that it way. Might that be. You might be missing their effort or undermining their effort. It could. So this is so deep and so multi-layered, but it could be absolutely that it's, there's a lot of people that always feel like they're not receiving love. And they will interpret even pot, like loving acts. They'll neglect them and be like, I'm not being loved. And and so that could be something that you need to tap into and have the self-awareness to, to notice. There might also be a situation in which um, it's disproportionate. You're giving a lot of love and they're not giving it back. However you want to contextualize that. Maybe that's a relationship to walk away from. Mm-hmm. You know, for, Because they're not capable of giving that. That's just you know because of who they are and, and what they're dealing with. They're not able to offer that love or... They don't value the relationship in the way that you do. And it might come to a point where you do walk away. I think before doing that, if it's a relationship that you really value, perhaps it's something that you with some, it sounds vulnerable, but I think it's very strong to step up and discuss it. Absolutely. Um, I totally in a very honest that. way. I, I, and I get those are and how to do them. I mean, this is a, it's like very complex. It's not going to be one, one size fits all. But definitely, I just see it so often where people end relationships based on the assumption that the other person... Yeah. Yeah, doesn't love them as, as much, doesn't want this, or wouldn't want the same things, wouldn't want things to be different, like so many things, or kind of like, you know, jokingly, but it's really true, going back to conflict and how bad we can be at it sometimes and why we might be afraid of it. You know, looking at Persian culture, and I'm sure it's in a lot of cultures, but we just see more Persian families, and I see it in therapy, but also personally, you know, you see people where it's like, well, oh yeah, I'm not close to my cousins from my mom's side. And it's like, why? It's like, I don't know, my mom and her brother mm-hmm. 25 years ago had some fight. I don't even know about what. Yeah. And so now our families don't talk any, ever. ever, you know? Yeah. And so I think, unfortunately, we Iranians, we don't do very well with conflict. So it does contribute to a fear of conflict because we're saying, oh, like the fear is the relationship can end. But, you know, first of all, it definitely can anyway, no matter what it can. But for some people, it's like really that threshold is very low that a small conflict doesn't get yeah. revisited. We don't want to have the conversations to try yeah. to hash it out. We focus on how much we were hurt and we don't want to even acknowledge that maybe we did something wrong. You know, I'm actually looking at the time. This might be a good, um, maybe a good topic. I'm, I'm I'm kind of making you have to say yes to this, but about difficult conversations in general. No, because there's some of these I things. decide no. We'll have a conflict over the break and we'll see how it was resolved <laughs> when we come back going into our last segment. We'll do we have, do you have a second here, a moment? No, we have to go. All right, I have something. Listen, this is going to be so good. Go Just, you have to come back for this one. It is oh, this is the best part. I have something to say, and okay. I'm really excited to say it. All right, we'll be right back for that and much more. Welcome back. Um, so today we talked about conflict, negotiation, and um, yeah, we, you know, at the end there before the commercial break, we we're getting into having difficult conversations, not avoiding difficult conversations, and really it's something that. Um, of course, personally, I do it too, but I see so much in therapy that in every relationship, I would say there's several, many probably unhad conversations that would be beneficial to the relationships if they were had, but people avoid them because they make them anxious. They're afraid of the outcomes, all those things, the vulnerability things that you touched on as well. And so this last segment where we could talk about, you know, encouraging us all, as is often the case, we need motivation to do things that we know are good for us, but they're difficult to have those difficult conversations to not avoid them. My hope is that everyone comes out of this and has a couple, <clears throat> as you said, the unhad conversations that would be helpful to them. You know, one could come and say, you know, I don't need to negotiate. Why do I, why should I negotiate ever? Mm-hmm. Just, uh, just I'll take what they give me. You know, I don't. you're leaving money on the table in your negotiations. If you're always just accepting what's given to you, but worse than that, I think you're um, 
there's relationships that you would be able to deepen and strengthen and and even have that might be that might slip away if you're not able to have those uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah i think there was a great book um I read about it's called Difficult Conversations, uh, and I, I really enjoyed it. And it was just it's a great book. It is a great book. Yeah. yeah, it's it's actually coming from I think three professors from Harvard Business School, so it definitely has a business slant to it. But I, I use a lot of the techniques it's or the concepts. The law school. <clears throat> is it law school. Yeah, I love to conflict with yeah, yeah, any opportunity. Disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the law school. Yeah. But anyway, the there are some themes there that I thought were really important because difficult conversations that's conversations but of course that first word is difficult they're they're hard so of course we avoid things that are that are difficult that are not easy that's why we need that encouragement but that reminder that it's not you know sometimes i tell a couple they'll say oh you know i i was upset with something my partner said but i didn't want to say i didn't want to bring down their mood or you know i love them why would i say something they don't like and how i counter that is by telling them i would want you to tell them not despite you know loving them actually because you love them so it's like yeah. i'm telling you this thing that you might not want to hear in this moment because i love you and because i love our love and our relationship and i want us to have this open honest relationship and to strengthen and not to keep something between us that's why i'm bringing it up so it's not to mm-hmm. hurt them if your intention is to hurt them i want to just insult them yes don't do that but if it's that there's something uncomfortable and i think you won't like it that's an issue you just and i also joke with couples you know they'll somebody say oh you know she brought this thing up or he brought this up and i was in such a good mood and it messed up my day and they say oh or i can't believe they brought up they knew i was having a bad day you know so it's like no matter what we're having a good day a bad day it always will feel like the wrong time to have an uncomfortable conversation we have to just accept that it's never going to be like a i can't wait to talk about something that's uncomfortable it's always going to feel uncomfortable yeah I, i completely agree that if you value the relationship that's actually when you want to make sure those things are uncovered Mm-hmm. That there isn't this this inner resentment that's being pushed down or repressed. Um, a relationship that you value, you want those things that come to the surface. You want to be able to talk about them. I also think there's a there's a skill that one can develop about bringing these things in a way that's more tactful and, and works. You know, sometimes they say, you know, couples that can bring these things up through using maybe humor mm-hmm. or um, just li- a lighter touch way. It doesn't have to have that heaviness to it. It's like, you know what, and, and approaching it more not as this is what happened and this is what I feel. <clears throat> approaching with curiosity you know, I notice it seems like we have a difference of opinion on how clean the house should be it seems like that's what's going on like let's let's talk about this right. the goal isn't to make your point and have them take it in and change if you go in with that point you're probably going to be disappointed yeah the goal should be understanding mm-hmm. you know to, let's get a let's the outcome here should be I get a better understanding of how you see things and you get a better understanding of how I see things and with that as the goal I think we're less fearful of coming in right so that goes back to that framework of even your relationships, like making sure it's not adversarial, we go into that so often. So it's like we're trying to, um, and Pat, I'm having an inner conflict trying to cause. Yes. Uh, let me just talk he, about this. I, he listen, was almost underground. Okay. I wish I could see him. But, but Fatty, uh, no, we have to talk about this for like, 10 seconds. I have a cough in my throat. It's a live show. There's nothing I can do. And I, it's, how do you deal with this conflict? I don't even know what to do here. Yeah, it's like it's I, I, literally an inner conflict. It's yeah. inner. You just press the mute and then you cough while you're muting it. Okay, I'm going to cough, guys. Yeah, I'll be back in a second. You won't hear him. Okay, hopefully you won't hear them. Um, no, I heard you loud and clear. But so, um, you know, but having these, going back to these uncomfortable conversations, why we avoid them, it's because like you're saying, there's a sense of it's win or lose, like it's like a fight, right? But the way you're saying it, you have to have this, if you approach it that way, it has to be, I want to understand you better. I'm not trying to win against you. I'm trying to win with you for our relationship. Uh, I sometimes also joke with couples that the first session, I feel like I should wear like a judge's robe because I feel like they want me to say like, who's a good partner, who who's wins. a bad partner, and who wins. Yeah. 
and that's never going to be the solution. Okay, you're the better husband or wife, and they're the bad partner. Oh, by the way, you're the better. Now what? Yeah. Well, that's what you're left, now. You're left alone, right? So you, you have this crown by yourself. Congratulations. I mean, is that it's it's again? Sorry to jump in, but it's taking a step back and realizing what's the goal here. Yeah. And often it's really easy to get fixated. I want to show that I was right. And when we feel attacked, it's really natural to have that reaction. I'm not saying this reaction like this is not a, a, a judgment on that. It's I think this is why I think slowing down, pausing, and having the self awareness gets us so that we're not barking back and trying to get you, the therapist, to judge in my favor. Yeah. That shouldn't be the goal. Why would that be the goal? Well, I mean, but why would it? Of course, it feels good to be right. So, I mean, we have to definitely acknowledge that it's going to, we always want to be right. And we have that desire. We could acknowledge that that's going to be there, but realizing that that's a, it's like a lot of things. It's a lower level goal. We would think we have a higher goal that we would want to strive towards. Right. So. Yeah. But I think it's, it's, there's the immediate goal when we're angry, there's an immediate current goal. I want you to know how angry I am. Yeah. That's, that's, and, and I think when we get lost in the shorter goal or the immediate goal, we forget the bigger goals. Yeah. The broader goals. I want to be a, the broader one might be, I just want to be a happier person, have more peace of mind, have more calm and security in my home, have a deeper relationship with this person. We forget those bigger goals when we're lost in the emotion. Yeah. When someone triggers us or yells at us. And also, by the way, the other side of this is trying not to um, trigger that in the other person where they feel that need to win. You were saying, why would, I was just saying it in the sense, just like someone says, well, why would you want to skip your workout? It's like, it feels good to rest, but doesn't mean you should. Right. So I was just saying, yeah, understand the, understanding why is important. That's the first step. Of course it feels, and and don't, and don't lie to ourselves. I don't care about being right. No, everyone does. It always is going to, you know, we're feeling it right now as we're getting into this conversation. It was really hard for me to even accept that you were right now. Exactly. Yeah. I wanted to, it's like, that's that's what I mean. It's like this natural feeling that we always (laughs) will want that, but realizing there's a higher order. Okay. Of course, it feels good to be right, but maybe there's something, like you said, bigger here that I want to make sure I'm not missing or overriding this bigger thing for this immediate short-term feeling good for the bigger picture kind of a thing, which is way more meaningful. And, um, you know, going back to even these conversations, I miscommunication, we were going to touch on it. You had some things about verbal and text and the, the things that can go on there, and we probably won't have time for that. No. And so miscommunication is huge and causes lots of issues. But what I actually sometimes say is, there's more relationships get affected by missed communication rather than miscommunication by missed. Yeah. I mean the conversations we don't have, the, the ones we don't we have don't express yeah. that even is more, you know, so miscommunication is like, Oh, I, you said next week, I thought you meant like the next Thursday of the following week rather than like the one that's coming up. That's mm-hmm. like a miscommunication. Yeah. But miscommunication is when we don't even talk about when we want to see each other. Right. And that's where people actually like lose relationships. Such a good more. point. I can't, there's so many relationships that are, um, torn apart even because of com- communications and conversations that weren't had. Yeah. It's like, it's like so many other things, you know, you exercise and it's uncomfortable in the moment and you, you feel pain and stress, but you end up having a good reward. I think conversations are the same way. There's that immediate pain, discomfort that you feel by having that uncomfortable conversation, sure. but there are huge payoffs in the end in the same way that you get with, with exercise or anything else in life. I mean, there's so many areas of life that the problems we have are because in the immediate term, we feel the discomfort, the gains, the benefits come later. And deepening yeah. relationships, that's a huge part of it. And it's a great point. The conversations that we don't have, it might tear apart the relationship. It might just make the relationship less than it, what it could be. You're less close than you could be. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, it's very important to authentically express those things and not be afraid of those conflicts. Yeah, and, and so it does that tie back into conflict because the fear is that obviously an uncomfortable conversation has some level of conflict in either you're sharing something you don't like that your partner did or didn't do or that 
you know, you want it to be different. Um, and going back to what I was saying about the coming, you know, overcoming a conflict phobia, but these types of conversations, the good news is, it's like anything, the more you do it, it still be uncomfortable, less mm -hmm. uncomfortable. So I've seen this, it's beautiful to see it with couples where, yeah. you know, I even will talk to some couples and say there is a certain element of tarof in your relationship, this overly polite, not wanting to harm the other person in their relationship and how yeah. they interact, which seems nice and polite, but means something is missing, like we're talking about deeper. And so encouraging them. And also we should say this, it's not just like, oh, good, have this conversation, great. Like sometimes like your partner's going to say something that's going to really bother you or really piss you off or really hurt. It doesn't just mean they're pleasant. That's why we're saying they're uncomfortable. It's like they can be very painful when you go through them. Uh, but the good news is the more you have these conversations, the less scary they become, the more you see, okay, it feels bad during, you can feel better after. Kind of like you do a workout, you really push yeah. yourself. It hurts while you're doing it, but you feel so much better after. It doesn't mean the next time it's not going to hurt, but you're much more likely to embrace that pain knowing I can handle it, I can tolerate it, and there's good results on the other end. So it's the same thing of putting yourself through that discomfort in your relationships. Yeah, and I think there's also what you learn over time and can get better at is how do you have those uncomfortable conversations without with getting the result that you're after. I think coming out and saying, why are you like this? Mm -hmm. That's an uncomfortable conversation, like, unlikely to lead to a good result. Yeah. Um, That's a great point. It's not just yeah. like have any... Now, it does not just go out and fight with your partners, guys. We're, I yeah. think people are going to come out of people this... People probably already turned yelling at someone. They've already started them. yelling. The moment yeah. it hits 6 p.m., just you can hear the yelling in all of Los Angeles, yeah. just people coming at each other. We're no, so, no, no. We're so optimistic that, like, that many people are listening, but... Oh, the whole city, millions yeah. and millions. Yeah. Um, no, it's going to be... It really is about, Yeah. I think, doing so... Re remembering that the goal is understanding. Come with that as the goal. You're trying to understand, seek to understand. That makes people far less defensive. What's the goal? If the goal is to um, reach an understanding, that should be what the goal is. Not like, let me show them why they're wrong. Right. Let me show them why I'm right. You go in with that goal, it's not going to be pretty. Don't have that one. That's not an uncomfortable conversation. If that's the one you want to have, maybe just Or don't have it one. in that way. Don't right? have it in that way. And that, have, yeah. that difficult conversations book, one of the themes that I took from it that I really liked was it said, don't focus on blame focus on contribution. Yeah. So blame is about judgment and on the past and, you know, not going to get you anywhere. But contribution is about what happened, what do we both do and how can we learn from it and grow from it. And contribution means we both like, you know, sometimes we think, well, the person just, you know, did this thing to me. And somebody's like, well, they repeatedly did it to me and I didn't say it for a while. So my contribution was actually not bringing anything up, even if they were doing something. So yeah. I, I think it's a great, Absolutely. Uh, you know, because of time, we'll probably have to wrap up. But um, there, are, like you, I think you brought up a great point. It's not just like, okay, if you bring up a difficult conversation, you win, uh, or that's good because you could bring them up in, in bad ways or wrong ways that actually, it can hurt. It doesn't mean any no. uncomfortable conversation helps. The no, and yeah. I think it's good to be be hard on the problem. Okay, this is this thing that we have. It seems like there's some, be easy on, the, be kind to the person. Yeah. Kind to the person, hard on the problem. This is something that maybe is causing some friction. I want, I want to make sure we address this. I don't want to ignore that. But re really, and I think the locus of responsibility Taking ownership of your part of it is really important. Yeah. And it allows the other person to do the same thing. Oh, yeah. There's a big, you know, when you look at the push and pull, the more you're willing to share what you are, um, yeah, what you did, the more the other person is. The more you're trying to say how you're so right, the other person's going to go there, too. There's definitely uh, some, you know, push and pull there that we create in the relationship. It's a better mindset in life, too, to not be, uh, look at what's happened to me. Look what's been done to me as a victim and just taking ownership as much as possible over what it is. And that includes in the relationship yeah. as well. 
Well, that does bring us to the end of our time for today. I think we solved all the problems, every, right? You know, it's all good all now. All conflicts Everything, are gone. Just peace and love. Congratulations from to the world. Um, but no, thank you, Pam, for joining me. I really thank enjoyed you. the conversation as always and love you as always. Uh, that brings us to the end of today's show. Big thank you to Farhuda here in the studio. Farhuda is the best. We love her. You've been listening thank to you. In Session with Dr. Fahid Zan Zendigi Azadi. Mm-hmm.